and their families. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Bottom of the hour, we will speak with Dave Sprout, KASI, in Ames. He was uh, at the Fiesta Bowl, get his take on what he saw and going forward with the Cyclones. But right now, for the final Monday of recapping college football games, it's pathetic when it happens. It's sad, mm-hmm. quite honestly. Bama joins us, although he'll be with us next Monday to preview and then Tuesday. Uh, but Bama, good to speak with you, my friend. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great, Kenny. How are you? We made it to the end, which is... Surprising and sad all at the same time. Yeah, both, right? Absolutely. You know where I want to start with you, Bama? Uh, Tom Herman fired um, after, you know, they signed the recruiting class. I get it. It's not the first time this ever happened. Uh, it happens a lot uh, that the coach is there to the players that he recruited once they get the uh, name on the dotted line, etc. Tom Herman was 7-3 and three this year, fellas. You ready for this? Tom Herman's losses by 2, by 3, and in quadruple overtime. That's not good enough. By two points, yeah. by three points, and a quadruple overtime game, uh, and he walks the plane. Now, they're getting a really good one in Sark, I get it, and maybe Herman's doesn't have the best relationship with his players. Uh, but uh, where did that rate, Bama, on the surprise scale to you? Yeah, it was surprising because, you know, listen, they made a run, if you believe the reports, and I do, they made a run at Urban Meyer. Uh, he turned them down. They came out that Tom Herman's going to be our coach going forward. And whatever reason, I, and I don't, I don't know why. I, I can't. Sarkeesian, I, I think, is just more of a another flavor of the month thing. And he he does have head coaching experience at Washington and USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, left both, the, you know, he left Washington to go to USC. Left USC because of personal issues. Has done a just fabulous job at Alabama at running their offense. Uh, with Mac Jones. And so maybe that's what they want. Um, I don't, I just don't know long-term how much better Sarkeesian is going to be than Herman. I think Herman's problem is, as we all know, he hasn't won anything in the four years that he's been there. And you're right. The three losses this year, I mean, he could easily be 10 and 0 and, you know, in the playoff, but he's not. And this is year four. Every one of those players he's recruited and they haven't won anything. I think they were trending up, but I think maybe what the powers that be at Texas are, and you mentioned his personality. His personality is just not great. I don't think with players, with boosters, with, with administration, with anything, I just, I, I don't, I don't get the sense that he's just a fun guy to be around, if you will. Not that he has to be. If you win, they don't care what your personality is. But when you don't win, um, and they see what, Lincoln Riley's doing in Oklahoma and the quarterbacks that he just keeps churning out, you know, and, and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts, who, you know, what was part of the game. I've never seen an NFL game thrown in that matter. That, that one was last night. But holy, it's just disgusting. But um, that's another subject. You know, but Murray, Mayfield, all these guys that Lincoln Riley's worked with. Yep. Now Rattler, and who's young. I think he's still got at least two more years. Mm-hmm. 
uh, if he wants it. And so they want that at Texas. Um, Herman's recruited great recruiting classes. They just haven't won anything. So I don't know if Sark's going to be able to, to handle to recruit at the level that Herman did, but he may be able to win more. So any, bottom line is it was a surprise to me. I'm surprised that they went with Sarkeesian. I can't think – listen, if it were Urban Meyer, it would have been a home run and nobody would have been upset. No matter how it worked out, you would have gotten a pass. Taking a pretty good risk on Sarkeesian here, but they made the move. They'll move forward. And ironically, in uh, 22 and 23, Alabama and Texas have a home-and-home. Home. So oh, do they? Nice. We'll pro- yeah, we'll probably get a shot at Nick Saban because I think – I think Saban will be there. I think maybe I don't think Sarkeesian would have left except for a job as big as Texas because I do. And obviously, he's not going back to USC. Um, I just think that it's he was one the of heir apparent. Where, I thought. Yeah, I yeah exactly, and I think they had not announced that. And the thing is, Saban could coach another five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a young sixty-nine. He'll turn seventy this season. So you know, how long do you really want to wait? You know, it's kind of the whole Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Bowden thing. How long do you? And I, except I don't think Saban's going to fall off a cliff like Bowden did. So, big hire, big news. Um, Herman will land on his feet. He'll get a job somewhere as a head coach. I don't think he'll have to go the coordinator route. I think he'll land a power five job somewhere. Uh, let's get uh, let's recap what we saw since we were last here. Uh, trying to want to start with this one from you. We we saw the brawl at the end of the Mississippi State Tulsa game. Mm-hmm. That that was that was not good. But then later on in the day, uh, I don't know if any of you guys saw this at the Liberty Bowl. West Virginia Army played a hell of a football game, and you know what Army is one of their. Uh, one of the things they do after the game, their traditions, they sing their fight song, right? And that's the Army-Navy thing, who <laughs> sings first, who sings last. So Army goes to sing their fight song after they just got beat. Do you know who stood right behind them while this was happening? West Virginia was there right behind Army, wanted to participate oh. in Army's. So hours earlier, mm-hmm. we'd seen this brawl, and then we the scene switches to Memphis in the Liberty Bowl, and Army sings their song, and West Virginia's players, entire team and coaches, stood behind them while that was taking place. I thought, wow. Neil Brown, it's the guy that gets it, right? Yeah. And West Virginia, we know how difficult a job that is now in the Big 12. It's never been the easiest of jobs, but you can recruit Pennsylvania pretty well, get some pretty good guys, and we've seen very talented West Virginia teams. But to uh, to do something like that, I didn't see that. Class and act. Really, really yep. cool to see. And it was a pretty fun game, though. It was, absolutely. Bama, did you see the end? Did you see them singing with them? I saw the highlight, and yeah. I see the end of the game. Um, and and I'm, I'm like you, Ken, and I, I, I drew the exact correlation. I'm just like, okay, here you have Mississippi State and Tulsa. And it was really Mississippi State brawling. Seems like it always is. They must have a reputation because former Hawks said that. When did they play, Trent? A couple of years ago. In that Outback Boy. And apparently both teams went to a hospital uh, prior to, you know, when they're doing the bowl things right for the committees and they both showed up. And it got chippy there. And at Mississippi State, Bama, they've got this reputation. Well, they do, and it's well earned. I mean, you remember last year, you know, the the peeing in the end zone, the egg bowl, yes, yeah, the egg bowl. And I'm like, just when you think that that program can't stoop any lower, they do this. And I don't know who the, I can't remember. Was it Malik? Somebody? I can't remember. The the, the viral video is of the the Mississippi State player kicking, kicking. the Tulsa player and then running away like a little girl. I mean, that to me, you talk about just absolute classless. And then what does Leach do? Yeah, he comes out, downplays it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it was probably dumb. I put that in the category of dumb. It was just nothing. And I'm like, man, listen, 
you got to come out and, and you got to just say these guys are no longer part of our football program. But does he do it? He doesn't. And I think that's why he's a great fit for Mississippi State, and I think that's why he won't ever win anything over there. Um, they've had one good coach in the last, I don't know, 197 years that they've been playing football, and that's Dan Mullen when he had Dak Prescott. So, it, listen, it is no great secret around the SEC. It, listen, everybody, everybody has their skeletons. Every program's been caught breaking NCAA rules. Um, you know, Ole Miss, Alabama, Auburn, go down the list. Georgia, everybody's been involved at one time or another. But when you t- when it comes around to who is the most classless program in the SEC, Mississippi State is usually the first off of everybody's lips, and it is a well-earned distinction from that program. Uh, let's uh, go around some of the games. Bama, Trent and I talked about this earlier, so get your take on why well, I want to get your take on the Fiesta Bowl as well as we talked about that, and we will again uh, coming up here with Dave Sproul. We'll get your take on that in a second, but the Peach Bowl, Bama, Luke Fickle completely uh, uh, t- grabbed defeat from the jaws of victory by yep. his just pathetic clock management. What were they doing? Snapping the football with uh, no timeouts, tick, 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 12 seconds on the play clock and you're snapping the ball, and then to throw the ball down the field instead of running the ball, they have no timeouts. Bama, this was about a minute and three, four, five seconds that should have been off the clock. There should have been no way in hell uh, that Georgia gives the, uh, the kicker that's never kicked the game-winning field goal in his life at any level an opportunity to split the sticks from 54 and to win a Peach Bowl. I felt awful for Cincinnati. Yeah, I did too, and listen, the I don't, and again, the reaction was so disappointing. It was like Doug Peterson last night. I don't want to keep going back to that game, but you know, when he said, no, I was trying to win the game. No, you weren't. No, he wasn't. Okay. You were trying to throw that game last night to get another draft pick. But, you know, Fickle, from what I heard and what I saw, what little bit I saw, you know, he said, well, we were just trying to be aggressive and win the game. There's being aggressive and there's being smart, Ken. I mean, if you want to call, and, and you're right, the thing, I'm sitting there watching the end of it and, you're right. The play clock, when you're trying, when Georgia's out of timeouts, you're snapping it with 12 seconds left. I mean, you should be mm-hmm. snapping that thing with one or two. And, you know, every time. And look, if you want to call a pass play on third down, I get it. Okay. Because if you complete it, the game's over. It's the kill shot. The yeah. game's over. But you have to tell your quarterback, and maybe he did, but I don't, I doubt it. You better make 100% that this guy is open by about 20 yards. Otherwise, you eat it. You fall down in bounds. We let 40 seconds run off the clock. We kick, we punt, and we make them go maybe 90 yards, you know, or however far they would have had to go to get field goal range with about 30 seconds left. It was kind of the John Gruden thing the other night, you know, where he played it perfectly and yeah. just got bit by it. But that's how you have to play it. And, look, Cincinnati – I don't know if Pickle got caught up in the moment. Uh, I don't know if his players, you know, said, oh, coach, come on, let's go, whatever it was. But the clock management was atrocious, and they lost the game, and they deserved up until the last, what, for 58 minutes, they were the better team. And then the coaching staff totally screwed up the the end of that game, and you do feel bad for those players because I thought they went toe-to-toe with Georgia. And that's with JT Daniels, a quarterback. And that's what we've heard all year from Georgia. Yeah, if we had JT Daniels, we'd be in the playoff. Well, from what I saw, Cincinnati's a playoff team if you are, because for, for 58 minutes, they dominated you. And 
for whatever reason, your coach had a brain fart at the end of the game and cost you a game with his clock management. But I did feel bad for Cincinnati. And just an, just an example sometimes of, I think, the moment being too big yep. for a head coach that has probably got bigger aspirations. And, you know, he may wind up with them, but that's going to take a while to live down. And when you're, when you're interviewing a guy like that, I'm going to want answers if I'm an AD because, you know, I don't, I don't want that in an SEC championship game. You know, it's bad enough in the Peach Bowl. You don't want that kind of crap in a in a game that really matters. No doubt. Uh, Trent, let's go to the uh, to the Orange Bowl. It was the mm-hmm. final game on Saturday night. You know, for 57 minutes, that was a hell of a football game. And then, you know, A&M at the, at the end of it pulled clear and covered, uh, which was uh, on a lot of people's Frustrating. Mind. Uh-oh, North Carolina. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, but you know what? A pretty good football game in its own right. It was. Uh, entertaining. Two kind of older brands that mm-hmm. getting together. The combo worked on the field. The colors really yeah. matched well. My question is Texas A&M. What's next? Jimbo gets the truckload of money to go there. Gets the 10-year contract. He gets them to this level. Now what's next? Mm. Do they get to the college football playoff? Mm. And... Is that enough? Because it's ultimately the gap between is Alabama giving up football, right? Alabama, Clemson, <laughs> Ohio State, and everybody else. And it is everybody. It's yeah. those three and everybody else. There is a gap. Is that good enough for A and M fans if they get to a playoff? If they finally upset Alabama and win an SEC championship, is that enough? Or does it ultimately have to end here in the next two, three, four years in the championship where he's gone? I don't know. For how crazy they are, probably. I just have a feeling this might be the high water mark mm-hmm. of his era, Jimbo at A and M. It's a pretty good one. Finish number three, maybe in the country. It's pretty dang good. Maybe not good enough for that. Fan so base. that's an interesting point. Do you think that they'll elevate him against the two playoff losers? I don't. I think Notre Dame. Do you? I believe so. And just the way it ended for Clemson. Yeah, I think so. I think A and M will get there. Mm. One blemish lost to Alabama. A lot of people have that blemish. That's, that's true. Uh, you know, Trent brings up a good point, Bama. Let me get your take on it. Uh, what What is the high water mark for A and M? Look, Johnny Manziel marched in and beat them, right? Uh, Alabama, I'm, I'm referring to. But what's the high water mark for for the Aggies? Well, that's the that's the seventy five million dollar question. You know, <laughs> because that's what's guaranteed on Fisher's contract. You know, from when he signed it. I don't know how many years he. I think this is his third year, so he's getting seven and a half million. 75, you know, a year for 10 years, fully guaranteed. So, listen, the good thing, I guess, if you want to look at it this way, is they get a shot at Alabama every year. So they will have – it's not like one of these things where, okay, we're going to lose a game and now we got to be compared because Alabama's most of the time is going to win the one-loss argument. Call it fair, call it unfair. I think that's just the way it is. A&M gets a shot at them every year, and if they beat them, They've essentially now got a two-game lead on them to win the West. Mm-hmm. Win the West, you go play for the SEC championship. You win that, you're in the playoff. Um, I don't think they're going to be a – I mean, just look at LSU last year. They had a great season, and for whatever reason, they've fallen off the map. Now, Kellen Mond is going to be gone. You better get the next guy in. Um, you know, they're losing a lot off the front lines. That being said – this is a pretty good build for year three. They've been they've been pretty steady, but Trent's right. That fan base, they're like the Auburn fan base. They they think they deserve to be, you know, a national program. And if they slide a little bit next year, and to answer your question, Alabama's going nowhere. Okay, Nick Saban's going nowhere. They they've got their next guy lined up at quarterback. They'll you know they got Brian Robinson to replace 
Najee Harris. They got Mechie to replace Devontae Smith. They got a you know five stars coming in on on both defensive front and offensive lines. They're going nowhere. And if they don't beat Alabama, they're not going to get to the SEC championship game most likely. And if they don't get there, they're not going to get in the playoffs. So it's really all of, that's the measuring stick. Call it fair, call it unfair, call it arrogant, whatever. Um, but they do get them every year. This may be the high water mark, guys. I, I just at least while Nick Saban's there. And listen, fans want improvement every year. Okay, most fan bases. And how are you going to improve on this? You have to get to the playoff to improve on it, and that pretty much makes it a one-game season for you next year. you got to go into Bryant-Denny Stadium and beat Alabama, and I'm not sure they can do that next year. Maybe they can, and if they do, they, they'll be in position. But, you know, that's just one of those fan bases. They're competing with Texas, and they're competing now in the, in the SEC West, which is just a juggernaut. Um, and I think LSU will be better next year. Auburn's going to slide, um, I think, under Harson. You know, take them a while to get going there, but – uh, they have a shot, and the good thing is they get Goliath every year. You just got to beat them. Uh, indeed, Bama, uh, just your take quickly. Well, not quickly. Take as much time as you want. We'll move to the playoffs after that. But you watched Iowa State and Oregon. Uh, your, your thoughts on that one? I just loved it for Iowa State. Um, just, you know, just the way you want to finish a season. You know what I mean? It, it, Yes, they didn't win the Big 12 championship. They had a shot uh, against Oklahoma, who who right now I think is a team nobody wants to see. Okay? You know, forget the margin mm-hmm, against I Florida agree. because Florida was playing with a JV squad. Okay? But th- that was going to be a shootout even if Florida was at full strength. Okay? But for Iowa State to, to just – that's how you want to cap a season. And you want to do it in a way – on national television where, you know, if you're a college football fan, every college football fan was watching that game. You know, it's the day after the semifinals. You had the entire window to yourself. I haven't seen the ratings because, you know, I don't know. And, you know, honestly, Oregon, Iowa State is not really a national, you know, doesn't move the needle nationally. But that's the only game in town, you know, that's on on a holiday weekend. So for them to finish it, for Hall to have a great game, for Purdy to finish strong, um, you know, Kolar just – you know, a monster at tight. It was it was just a perfect way, I think, for them to cap what is unquestionably their best season that they've in in their program's history. Now, you got two things: can you hold on to your head coach? You know, from one of these, I think, from one of the NFL jobs. I don't think it's going to be a college job that lures him. I think it's going to be one of these NFL jobs. What are his aspirations, and does he want to go anywhere? Can you hold on to him? And now, can you replace? the guys that you're going to lose can you just keep building the momentum so this really isn't a one-off i think you can if you leave matt campbell there because it has been a slow steady progression uh you know upward since he's been there they they it was the buy-in it was a great article on espn.com that was published the day of that game um about just kind of a slow it started out with buy-in and it started out with players and you know david montgomery and all these other guys, and now it's kind of gone to Purdy and Hall, and you know now what legacy are they going to leave for the next guys? And and you have to recruit. Obviously, you still got Texas and, and Oklahoma, so it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle. But they do they do more with in develop in player development. Than I think anybody in that conference. And I, I was just so happy to see them finish it the way they did against what I think is a good Oregon program, and I think Oregon is going to be – I know this year was a little wacky, 
I think Oregon's going to be the standard in the Pac-12 moving forward. I think, you know, Cristobal's got them playing both both sides of the ball. And I just think that Oregon's going to be that program. And, listen, when you beat Oklahoma, Texas, and you win a BC in a, a New Year's Six game, that's a hell of a season for Iowa State. Really happy that they were able to finish it strong, and and just all credit to them. It, it was no fluke, guys. They had a nope. great season. Indeed, they did. Yeah, don't be Kansas two thousand and eight in the Orange Bowl, right? That's uh, exactly. Uh, Trent, let's get to this. Let's uh, we'll start with Alabama Notre Dame. That was the early game, the Rose Bowl, um, in Arlington, Texas. Uh, just your thoughts. Uh, what did you see, Trent? Uh, kind of what I said earlier. Just that gap. It showed up again. They get up twenty one seven and. Put it in cruise control. Man, never had to put it in overdrive. They just were able to coast on in home. You get the backdoor cover. I think I mentioned they that. They did, yeah. I, I think I mentioned that on Thursday when we talked to the possibility of that. Notre Dame hung around, but it's just, you can see it show up. That top-level player, that top-level athlete, it's different at Alabama than it even is at Notre Dame. It's just a completely different level that they play in. I, I saw the stat, number of five stars, like 23 that played for Alabama. For Notre Dame, is that all that that gap huh. between the four star players and Notre Dame? Pretty much all their guys are four stars, but there's only 25 stars usually in any given year, and those guys are going to Alabama mm. or Clemson or Ohio State, and that's it. You saw that show up, mm. Bama. Uh, your your take on the uh, on the Rose Bowl? Yeah, I think Trent hit it dead on. I mean, there was no Devontae Smith on Notre Dame side. No, nobody even close. You saw the play from Najee Harris where he hurdles a guy six feet in the air. I mean, I I said there, I don't know what I said, but uh, I can't repeat it on the air. I can tell you that when I saw it happen. Because you see that a lot, and, you know, the guy kind of half hurdles. I mean, he was six feet in the air over that kid. Um, They just don't have the athleticism. And, and listen, for all the – I'm not arguing that Notre Dame belonged or didn't belong. I said I would have put Texas A&M in. I know why they weren't, because they would have had to play Alabama. Nobody wanted If you think the playoff isn't ratings-driven, you're crazy, because nobody was going to give up Notre Dame-Alabama. But Brian Kelly, is he's done a good job. You're talking about, I think, a team that might have reached a ceiling. I think this is Notre Dame's ceiling right here. And you start to look at it, and... You look at the athletes that Alabama has, and Smith, and Harris, and Mechie, and you know the tight end who Billingsley, who you know maybe Kyle Pitts in the making, and then you go look at Notre Dame, and they've got these big tight ends and these big offensive lines, but they can only win one way, Ken. They have to be able to pound you, and if you get ahead of them, it was just such a ho hum for all the talk that Notre Dame is different than they were, you know, the last time they were in the playoff. You look at their last two games. They've been outscored, I think, 65 to 24, and seven of those were with five seconds left in the Rose Bowl. And they just haven't been competitive with Alabama and Clemson. And this could be a team, you know, more so even than A&M, I think this team and program may have reached their ceiling unless they're going to start getting some real difference makers at wide receiver and defensive back. And, you know, quarterback is, is you know, obviously an important position. And I think Book is serviceable. Um but, you know, he's not throwing to guys like Mac Jones is. And I just think this is this may be the limit for Notre Dame. Good enough to get in the playoff. Not going to be able to hang with Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. They just don't have the athletes. Uh, Bama, uh, real quick, uh, let's get to the Sugar Bowl. Of course, Ohio State, uh, just dominating fashion. It was eye-opening to me. Watching Fields, watching Sermon run the football. 
Um, the tight end, what's his name, Rucker, Rucker, something like that, who's never part of any game plans this year. All of a sudden, he's in the end zone a couple of times, and he's running away from guys. Alave is a difference maker now that they get him back, a real weapon for fields. And both sides of the ball, they dominated Clemson in the trenches. Bama, your thoughts on the Sugar Bowl? Probably the most stunning result of any bowl game, and maybe even any game this year. I, I thought I thought it was going to be, you know, if Ohio State was going to score 49, I figured it was going to be like a 49-48 win or a 50-49 to loss. Um, you're right. They just shut Clemson down in a way that I haven't seen in a long time, especially with Trevor Lawrence. And listen, I know Clemson's offensive coordinator was missing, and that's a big deal. People say, oh, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. Okay, when you've got one voice in your head and now it's a different voice. Um, that said, I mean, they just – I did not see this coming in terms of just the pure athleticism that Ohio State – they look on another level than, than I can recall. Um, and this is going to be one dogfight of a national championship game. But, you know, and Justin Fields, by the way, yeah. earned a lot of respect because yes. that was one wicked shot oh. that that kid took. And – I'm surprised he didn't have broken ribs, and he he, he, might. he might be bruised a little bit. Um, but man, for him to be able to stay in that game and come out, you just looked at him on the sideline when he's on the bike, and you're just—I mean, you just hurt for him. You know what kind of pain it was in, and this wasn't one of those. You know, oh well, you know, I'm going to look good for the cameras. That kid was hurting, and that was a wicked shot. Um, he was wincing but, in pain. Yeah, he was. I mean, just. I mean, it hurt just watching him. And you, you start thinking, should this kid be going back in the game? He could have a punctured lung. Right. But they know, didn't tell he, him however they, eval- yeah, they evaluated him, they put him back in, and he kept going, and he played great. And, you know, for all the, the – you can make an argument all you want that they didn't play enough games, but I don't think you can make an mm. argument after watching that that they're not one of the four best teams in the country. Um, you know, maybe attrition catches up with them if they have to play another five that other teams did, that they did it. Who really knows? Maybe they lay an egg. Um, Sermon's going to be a handful yep. uh, for Alabama to handle, and then Fields as well. And you mentioned and all of a sudden they got tight ends that you never heard of that are in the end zone against mm-hmm. what was I, I think was one of the best, you know, top two programs in the country. So very surprising result, uh, and it just sets up just an absolutely, I think, shootout and fabulous title game and one that, I mean, to me, it's a toss-up. Absolute toss-up. I'm with you. And the number's, what, seven and a half, eight? And here's the other thing. I think seven it was, and a half. Yeah, Doc pointed this out earlier. You know, the country maybe wouldn't tune in to see Clemson, Alabama one more time. Ohio State, Alabama, yeah. uh, that's going to bring some eyeballs to TV sets. Bama, listen, we're out of time, brother. We, will, um, we won't talk to you Friday, sadly. Uh, but we'll do this uh, Monday. We'll, uh, we'll preview this game. We'll do a good, long preview uh, at the same time on Monday. Enjoy the week, Bama Bob. Thank you. All right, guys. Always enjoy it. Take care. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Bama, Bama Bob. I uh, follow him on Twitter at Bama Bob as uh, we uh, run out of segment here. Good long one. It's going to have Trent seven and a half, eight. I'm grabbing them. You're grabbing the points. Wow. And normally I'm the underdog player. You're the favorite player. Mm-hmm. I think I like the favorite in this one. Well, we might be on opposite sides. That'll be part of our picks Friday, right? Sure. How did you do in your picks? Four and one. Jeez, I can't catch you. I am... Uh, you having a good year. I'm having a good year. Yep. 51, I just did the math a little bit ago. 51, 33 and one. Jesus, what's that percentage? 62%. Good for you. 
11 and 6 on my best bets yep. at 65%. Mm-hmm. You're 500 this year. Eh. I've had years, though, folks, for anybody that tells you this is easy, that it's it happens every year, Chris Williams, it doesn't. <laughs> I had a year where I went 42%. Giving out picks. Same thing. Do picks on Friday. I think we did about the same five picks, something. There's years that it just, you can't see it. And this year, no. I've always been an underdog, and I'm just... I'm happy to pick the right two college, two pro. If you bet every underdog in the NFL this year, you would have uh, had you would have hit fifty five percent of your games. That's pretty good. Hey, take the take the points in every game. Two hundred mm-hmm. what fifty six of them. Mm-hmm. You would have hit fifty five percent of your game. We're late. Uh, it's uh, time for another thousand dollar slam dunk. Text the keyword easy to two hundred two hundred right now. It's your chance at a thousand dollars easy to two hundred two hundred. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right, uh, easy to 200-200. More Fiesta Bowl conversation with our friend Dave Sproul, who was there uh, from KASI in Ames. He's next Miller and Condon till noon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. If it feels like everything is on KXNO, it's because it is. Get all the latest on the Hawkeye, Cyclones, and more right here. 1460 AM and 106.3 FM. We are Des Moines Sports Station. KXNO. Trek in here to let you know my good friends at Renner's Warehouse are in heavy demand right now in Des Moines for three reasons. One, the rental market is booming. People rent during uncertain times. And homes are getting leased fast. Two, with professional video marketing and self-showing technology, Renner's Warehouse meets all healthy and safety guidelines for our social distancing world. And three, with regulations changing so quickly, more people are learning that using an experienced property manager is far less stressful than trying to do everything yourself. Now is not the time to DIY or mess with inexperienced property managers. For a low, flat monthly fee, Renner's Warehouse will take the grunt work off your plate with no upfront fees and no paperwork or 3 a.m. maintenance calls. Plus, they can help you turn your part-time rental into a full-time cash flow machine. And if you're a real estate agent, they're offering cash payments for referrals. Go to Renner'sWarehouse.com to book your free home rental price analysis today or call 515-528-4429. That's 515-528-4429. Renner's Warehouse, Des Moines. You'll always heard at Culligan.com. Condon, 20 minutes before noon. This is for Whipper. <laughs> and my wife, who never listens. Uh, my buddy Matt Meyer. He likes it too? Sometimes. Okay. Too much? Adam and Fonte. I'm, I'm just naming some of my Cyclone buddies. It's quite a quite an accomplishment. It really was. It, no question. And, and I've had fun at times making fun of my Cyclone brethren and my friends. And But that moment, that moment after the game, the locker room... Breesall, did you see the... I uh, didn't see the locker room. I don't know. Ooh, I got to send this to you. Yeah. Not uh, able to be aired on oh, radio, gotcha. but it's really, really good. Campbell talking about what they accomplished. Phenomenal. Just amazing yeah. for, for Iowa State. Iowa State. I've been doing this for 25 years. I and almost I went back and I, I started to add up the record of since I've been on the air. Talk, mm-hmm. How many times I've ripped them on Mondays and whatever. Well, and, and 
I'm well, so glad for him. Let's get Dave. I got something I want to throw at you before we finish our cycle and talk. Right. But let's get Dave in here. Uh, Dave Sproul uh, joins us from Phoenix Airport. Uh, Sky Harbor, if memory serves, right? Uh, is the name of the airport. Uh, Dave was there. He's still there. <laughs> Stretching it out a little bit on the company dime. Atta boy. Good for you. Uh, so th- I wish I could say that was the case, but I was actually uh, supposed to go back yesterday, but the Des Moines airport was apparently uh, shut down because of the fog and ice. So you know what? I had to stay an extra day in Phoenix. That's rough. <laughs> You're the second person that told me that because I knew somebody else that was coming back not fr- yeah, from that area, actually, and they got, uh, they got shuffled to Las Vegas, and they'll jump on a plane today. Anyways, uh, Dave, uh, look, so many things to uh, to discuss about the football game. I thought Purdy's run uh, when Thibodeau was chasing him, he dives toward the boundary and the first down marker to extend that drive late in the football game. Such a major, major moment uh, in the scheme of things, and uh, uh, no surprise that the uh, that, that it was Purdy making that play. Yeah, I know. You know, I got to give a shout out to uh, my buddy Ben Visser at Cedar Rapids Gazette for bringing that up in the post game uh, press conferences and and getting some great quotes from both Purdy and and Matt Campbell about that play. And Campbell pointing out that that's kind of the epitome of who Brock Purdy is, just going all out to do what it takes to to help the team win. And that's a kind of a, a play that defines uh, Brock Purdy's career at Iowa State. Uh, in in you know, for all he's done on and off the field to to bring that program to. A new level. You know, another play that stands out to me, and this one was just, it wasn't as impactful, but it was an early indicator to me was a, a play where he was scrambling out and just, he just heaved the ball downfield. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Here's a careless pass right. deep downfield that's going to get intercepted. But it, it was actually, he just let his receiver out of bounds. He was just throwing it away. He made a really smart, simple play there instead of taking some of the risks that cost him against Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. And that was an indicator to me. You're going to see the good Brock Purdy today. He didn't make any spectacular plays outside of the one you mentioned, really. But he made the simple plays and the smart plays, and him in combination with Brees Hall, just moving that ball down the field in six, eight, ten-yard chunks was everything Iowa State needed to, to hold the ball, keep Oregon's offense off the field, and then the defense did the rest by creating the turnovers. And King of the East Side, Rory Walling, making probably yes. the play of the game with that no. recovery on the kickoff. No, outstanding. Good for him. That's the second one because he made one. Do you remember on the um, – um, it, it, it was a fake punt that he stayed home and didn't get uh, – and, and did what he was supposed to do. He followed his assignment uh, and made a, made a huge, huge play. Yeah, good for him. Go ahead, Trent. Sorry. Uh, no, no problem at all. It was a game that – the fans were there, the parents were there, but not the fans yet. Just hearing the people back here, the excitement that you could continue to hear from people and social media, wherever you want, celebrating this victory. Dave, you know this program. You've been in names now for a long time. You've been close to it. You've seen the depths in some of the bottom areas. To get to this point, Fiesta Bowl champions, getting to a Big 12 championship came, talked about it in National Light week after week mm-hmm. on the college football playoff show. Dave, did you ever really think this was possible? Honestly, no. <laughs> I really did not. But uh, a lot has changed since Matt Campbell came to town. And, and he's a guy who just he doesn't know the meaning of, of the word limitation. You know, he doesn't think about those things at all. He just talks about getting better every day and focusing, focusing on those kind of things. And, you know, he, he's a guy who looked at, even when he was coaching at Toledo, he looked at Iowa State and saw the potential there based on the passion of the, the fan base. And that's one of the things I've loved about living in Ames for almost 20 years now is not just that, you know, I'm surrounded by good people. You could say that about anywhere in Iowa. I'm surrounded by people who are really, really passionate about a team that has not given them nope. much back right. in return through the years. 
and now they're getting to see that payoff, and it's it's uh, just a tremendous thing to see. I wish I could, you know, spend more time in person with with these folks, of course, but uh, just seeing the reaction on social media and texting with some friends uh, who uh, go back to my Iowa State days as a student, uh, you know, it's just uh, really quite something to see and a great reward. And those are the people I'm happiest for. I'm happy for the yep. players. I'm happy for their families. But most the, the people I'm most happy for are the people I know who've been uh, suffering through Iowa State football fandom for quite some time. They deserve the payoff like no uh, fan base has, and they, and, they, and they finally got it. A couple of things, Dave. A couple of guys probably playing their last game. Connor Asali to go out the way that he did, uh, good for him. Uh, that field goal to extend it to a three-score game. Uh, look, John Haycox, the defensive coordinator, it's the second half, so it wasn't going to be a factor. But it just seemed at the time to make it three scores that that was big. And Kaneno Ongo, I didn't think he was going to be in, uh, that involved uh, in the offensive game plan. He had 11 carries in the football game and 11 meaningful carries. Uh, Nwongo and Asali, their final game and both having an impact on a Fiesta Bowl win. Yeah, and it, it's, it is good to see Connor Asali coming up with a couple field goals there that help put the game away. And, uh, you know, his career has been up and down and, you know, missed a field goal against uh, Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. And, you know, he, he had streaks where he looked like he was going to make everything he hit, and he had streaks where it looked like he was going to miss miss everything he hit. But he, he got the, a couple big field goals, got his moment in the sun. And I was a little surprised, you know, in the third quarter, Kune Nuango handled most of the, the running back duties mm-hmm. for Iowa State. And I don't know if that was just to give Brees Hall a rest or to give Kune his chance in the spotlight, but he was also very effective running the ball in, in that situation and gave Iowa State, you know, just grinding out the yardage that they needed to keep the clock moving and keep, again, that Oregon offense off the field. And so he, and he had a nice little kick return, too, in that game at one point, too. So, uh, you know, he got his chance to, to show his stuff. And I wouldn't be completely surprised if Nuangu's the kind of guy who might come back for that mm. super senior year uh, as Chase Allen is doing. The uh, question remains, Charlie Kohler, uh, anything that you've heard on that front being down there? No, I haven't heard much uh, on that front, but I would be surprised if he came back, to be quite honest. I think he's a guy who can go in the NFL draft no later than the third round, which is a pretty good place to be. Your rookie contracts are going to be pretty decent. You're going to get a shot at a starting job uh, almost out of the gate, and you have a chance at a pretty decent career. And the sooner you get started down that road, I think the better. Uh, waiting a year isn't going to kill him or you know, ruin entirely ruin his potential, but there's that risk for injury or something else that could happen to – to thwart his, uh, his life as an NFL player. So um, I think just from a logical standpoint, it stands to reason that he would go to the NFL draft. Uh, and, hey, you know, if he decides to come back, you know, nobody's going to argue with that. More power to him. Uh, guys love being part of Matt Campbell's program and love being part of Iowa State. So it wouldn't totally shock me if he comes back, but it, it seems like the smart move is to go ahead and, and head to the NFL. Uh, three more guys, and if there's been some announcement, I've missed them, I apologize. You was Arike, uh, Lawrence White, and Greg Eisworth. Uh, as you call it, the super senior year, they can they can all come back. Have you heard anything about White, Eisworth, or you was Arike? Not much, but I did see some chatter on Eisworth, on, on social media at least, as a, I think it was a, a football scouting type, type of uh, account that, advised Eisworth is one of the guys to watch for as a potential NFL guy down the road. And it, that kind of struck me a, a little bit surprising because he seems to me to be a little bit undersized to play in the NFL. Although, I mean, who knows? Uh, you, you got some pretty creative coaches now throughout football and guys who can find dudes with talent and desire like the kind that Eisworth has. 
and, and put him in good spots where they can do some work. And, may, you know, maybe he's the kind of guy who spends a year on a practice squad developing or something like that or is a special team specialist in the NFL. But, you know, if he gets that opportunity, that'd be, that'd be pretty sweet for him. So uh, we get you out on a little basketball. It's Texas tomorrow. Pretty good performance by Iowa State against Baylor. Uh, got away from them late in the game. But it was 53-52 close yeah. at one point. They they had the lead late in that yeah. game. And, and you could see this team growing. Your takeaway as you watch it from down in Arizona. I didn't really get to watch much of that game, unfortunately, and all the hubbub of, of getting to the stadium and getting set up and, and getting ready to watch the game. But it was impressive to see that they were able to fight and hang in that game as long as they did. And eventually it was just a matter of Baylor being straight up more talented that decided that game down the stretch. And I think that'll probably be the case with Texas. I don't know if they'll be able to hang in quite as long, especially after the Longhorns just destroyed Kansas in Fog Allen Fieldhouse the way they did. Yeah. I'm sure the Longhorns are feeling good. I see they're up to number four in the poll today. Um, I, I'm thinking, you know, Texas should be a decided favorite in that one. But if, if nothing else, if you're Iowa State, just uh, see if those guys come back with the same kind of fight, energy, and fire that they showed on, on Saturday. And that will certainly be something of a good sign for this Iowa State basketball team. And, and good also to have Trey Jackson back. Yeah, absolutely. Made a big difference. A safe flight home, Dave Sproul. We'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it, guys. Good to talk to you. Dave Sproul, K-A-S-I uh, in Ames. Um, yeah, good for him. Good for them. Nice to see. And the basketball team, Trent, uh, there's not going to be a lot of victories. And I and moral victories don't count. I get that. But you got to take what you can get this year, right? We'll take a timeout is what we'll do. Miller and Condon, 1460, 106.3 FM. It's basketball season in Hawkeye country, and we've got you covered. Previews before the games, recaps the next day. Enjoy the ride with us, Hawkeye fans, right here on Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 AM and 106.3 FM. KXN. DraftKings has gone mobile. No longer the days you have to drive to a casino to register for a mobile sportsbook. You can do it now from the comfort of your home. And football's playoffs start this weekend to celebrate the most exciting time of the football season. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, giving you a chance to double your money. Just takes one touchdown. Pretty easy to be scored during Saturdays. There's three of them football games. That's right. Once you opt in and place your bet, all you have to do is sit back and wait for that touchdown. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now, use the promo code KXNO when you sign up to have a shot at doubling your money if a touchdown is scored in one of Saturday's games. That's code KXNO for new players to get a shot at doubling their money for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Iowa-only restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800. Match limited by state law. Hi, Miller and Condon. Final couple of minutes here of a Monday fun show today. Uh, so yesterday, or somebody, I don't know, when... Um, just to just to emphasize how much of a football school Texas is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck Ismar maybe had his biggest win of his tenure there oh, when no, they no, when no, they yeah. knocked off Kansas mm-hmm. that same day. That's overshadowed by Tom Herman being fired. Yeah, right. And you know another kind of step with that, Shaka, in a lot of places would have been fired after year three or four. Yeah, but they stayed with them. Yeah, and look at the payoff. Mm-hmm. And yet the exact same school, same athletic department, they're kicking them to the curb. Seven and three losses this year by one, by two, and in quadruple overtime. 
Those were Texas's football losses this year by a point, by two points, and in quadruple overtime. And again, that gap gap between the top three and everybody else, it doesn't matter if you're Notre Dame or Texas or Oklahoma or everybody in that next tier. It's still a big gap. Is Who's the team outside the playoff that, and maybe this is for next Tuesday when we recap mm-hmm. with Bama at some point. Oklahoma is that team to me that's really opened my eyes. I get that Florida didn't play a lot of guys. No, they didn't. But man, that those young kids on, on Oklahoma. Sheesh. And it looks like the defense again continues to improve. Do they go. have a complete team? You have to have a complete team. And will they have a complete team back? another big question. We are out of time. Murph and Andy with the Fanatics at 4 Iowa State Coaches Show tonight at 6.30. Miller and Condon 10 to noon on 1460 KXNO 106.3 FM.